Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Casey Slaughter Stanton. Uh, he is a authority in the field of marketing. Uh, he leads the marketing division at a company called Tech Guys Who Get Marketing. Welcome to the show, Casey. Hey, Jordan. Thank you for having me. So let's start with your history. You've had kind of an interesting history and all in the marketing field. Kind of give us your story briefly and how you got to where you are now. Sure, great. So back in 2008, I graduated from Michigan State University with a degree in environmental policy. And I really thought I had set myself up for success, but I quickly realized my mistake. And uh, upon graduating, I saw the unemployment statistics rise from 5% to 6% to 7 to 8 to 9 all the way to 10.5% just a few months after college. And with an environmental policy degree, I just couldn't find the work I thought I wanted. And um, that's when I figured out that if I was going to be successful in life, I had to figure it out on my own, and I couldn't rely on the standard uh, job types that are available after college. So from there, I got on the back of a lawnmower and mowed lawns for a summer, trying to figure out exactly what I was going to do and kind of fighting just the blues around not uh, having this great job that I was promised after graduation and figured out what I needed to do. So um, I had met a man who had a beautiful house, had a beautiful lawn, and, and I was mowing it for him. And I asked him one day and I said, hey, Dave, how, how did you, you know, what, what was your business? How did you do this? And he said, well, I, I'm an inventor, and I invented a product, and it's been very successful. And I said, that's so cool. How is it sold? And we talked about it. And one thing led to another, and he agreed to sell me a few products. Um, I had to work a couple more weeks to raise the capital for it. And then once I had the products in hand, I went door-to-door and sold them. And on my first day, I made a couple sales. I made more profit in that first day than I had done in the previous week of mowing lawns. And I instantly realized the power of sales. Now, being a millennial... What, what, were, the products? Oh, what, what were the products that you were selling, Casey? Uh, the product I was selling was uh, it was an at-home uh, tool for uh, home heating. So it was, it was an appliance that worked on the uh, natural gas lines. Okay. Yeah. And it was, it was fascinating to see how powerful sales could be and how it just kind of fit right into it. And then from there, uh, being a millennial... Um, Door-to-door sales was, you know, it felt, quote-unquote, too hard. And I knew that there just had to be an easier way to get to more doors. And I'm from a small town. You know, I graduated at a high school with a class of about 97 people. So for me to be able to reach more people, either I had to drive clear across the state or I had to tap into the Internet. And that's when I figured out the difference between marketing and sales. And um, I was coached by one of my dad's former friend or former colleagues and friend, um, and he taught me that marketing was essentially salesmanship multiplied, or as Johnny Kennedy says, salesmanship in print. And from there, that started my obsession and love with marketing and the ability to just multiply myself and effectiveness as a salesman. So then you're part of this company called Tech Guys Who Get Marketing. What is the uh, idea behind that? It's a website, I assume. What is the idea behind that company? Sure. So Tech Guys is an interesting company, and um, I was doing marketing living in Michigan and actually met the CEO of Tech Guys, Mike Klein, at a bar in Ann Arbor. I was on a date. He was traveling, and we got to be quick friends. And Mike is a tech guy who gets marketing, and I'm a marketer who gets tech. And what Mike had pulled together was a team of technologists, programmers, developers uh, in a number of different languages, but also 
um, marketers and project managers and salespeople. And we're a loose-knit organization. We think of ourselves as an exponential organization, which is we all kind of opt into this work environment. And we all fit key roles and we have special uh, specialties that we serve our clients in. So Tech Guys helps with all sorts of problems, um, typically very complex problems. And we pull in some of the, the best minds in big data or in development to help our clients overcome whatever technology and marketing problem they seem to have. What do you mean by an exponential organization? Sure. So an exponential organization comes from Salim Ishmael's work called actually Exponential Organizations. And the idea is that these organizations are work on demand. So we're a contractor-based organization. Uh, we don't have a physical location. We all work online. We all work remote. We really only have one project manager, but she has project managers that work under her. So our team is uh, a small team that has the capacity for a lot of work, and it's a very on-demand approach. Um, our lead programmers have programmers under them. Our lead designers have designers under them. Uh, our marketers have marketers under them. So we're actually encouraging the development of the resource in these sep separate entities so that we can all rally together and serve the client. And in doing that, we're able to take a larger percentage of the fee. We're able to reduce the potential downside of the business at large um, by having you know W two employees or, or whatever. Now you you do something what's called functional marketing systems. Is that right? So w explain what functional marketing systems and how that can help businesses uh, improve themselves. Sure. So one of the things I'm really passionate about, Jordan, is uh, helping clients find the right way to grow their business. And I really try to coach people and do the service myself to help them find the right approach to grow their business. So when it comes to marketing, typically people say, I want to run a Facebook campaign. Or they say, oh, I just watched this presentation and I want to do this tactic. And that's kind of the... Um, uh, the enemy in my world. It's the tactic man. It's the person saying everyone needs to run this tactic. So functional marketing takes a big step back and says, first of all, what are you even doing and what are you trying to get out of it? What does this individual campaign need to do for you as far as a result or success criteria in order for it to be valuable for the company? What can you afford to pay per lead? Of how many leads you want to generate this month, how many should come from this campaign? Then we look at things like, uh, what are the resources on your team? What's their remnant time available? What are their capabilities and, and what are they interested in doing? Is there something they're interested in learning how to do? And in going a certain avenue with a marketing campaign, does that increase actual longevity and happiness of people working in the company because you're doing things that are helping them develop personally and get towards a business goal? So functional marketing is the bigger picture of finding the right marketing and sales strategy to make your team work better at driving the results. So it both helps the customers get to the right customers, but it also helps the company and the longevity of the team because they feel more effective in what they're doing. Is that the idea? That's absolutely right. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I really have three thoughts here. It's functional marketing, functional sales, and functional teams. And in the end, the functional teams is the thing that holds it all together. So a functional team has a lot of components to it, but, you know, a major component is psychological safety. Another one is growth. Another one is profit share. So we're building teams where people are encouraged to grow the business in their unique ability or in their unique genius in such a way that supports the business at large without you know, forcing people in the wrong positions, which is typically where I see businesses slow down and, and get in trouble. So how is this different from the way businesses are traditionally run 
uh, kind of the old school as opposed to you being the new school? Yeah, great question. So um, typically the old school approach is uh, one that actually boosts confidence. And I think it's a nice approach. I just don't think it can really last. So the old approach is if you take this job, like my father, when he graduated college with a degree in animal sciences uh, and animal husbandry, he got uh, a series of job offers from great companies, ended up signing on with IBM for 26 years and ultimately retired with them. And that was great. And it was a great approach. And it was a very clear um, trajectory for him in business. Now, today, in today's day and age, that doesn't exist. Uh, when I was teaching, I taught at Tulane University as a marketing professor. When I was teaching there, my students thought they could opt into this world where there would be a job for the next 15, 20, 30 years for them. And that just doesn't exist. We're seeing a massive disruption. So what needs to happen today, what needs to happen now for business owners is they need to be looking at ways to encourage or incentivize the employees or contractors to work in a way that supports the business. But I'm a firm believer that the right person in the right position makes all the difference. The right person who has all the experience in the wrong position is going to slow down the business or the wrong person in the right position is going to slow down the business. So we need to encourage and incentivize people because these resources, we're going to find um, that people are going to get better and better at a small specific thing, and they're going to opt in to that work, I think, um, for their lifetime. So instead of saying, I'm an employee at IBM, they say, I'm a uh, marketing business growth strategist. And that's their job, and they can hop around different businesses and serve it, and that's their 25-year plan uh, it's not dependent on one company, which may fail or may go bankrupt or may get uh, purchased and shut down or whatever. Does that but you're always, if you're in that circumstance, you're always having to find the next job. You don't have a sense of stability because you finish one and then you have to find the next one. So that, that's kind of part of the gig economy, I guess you might say, right? Sure. So there are the inherent problems with um, – the availability of work potentially, but as you become an expert, you become the one that people look to. So I think really diving into the expertise side of it is important, but I think also rallying yourself around a group of people that support you is great too. So when we look at the tech guys who get marketing infrastructure, you've got salespeople, and those salespeople are really great at selling. Now, they could sell anything. They could go out and sell um, uh, Ginsu knives, or they could go sell Cutco, or they could um, you know, go to a call center and sell some product from an infomercial, or they could sell technology implementation services. Well, we found salespeople that enjoy selling technology implementation services, and then they're providing the work to us, and we are all our own unique experts. And because of that, we're actually solving that problem of spotty work by creating an organization that supports the expertise. So from the idea of the client, the business that's hiring you, hiring tech guys who get marketing, uh, it's cheaper for them because they don't have the overhead and the uh, needing in their space, and they're getting expertise that they might not have otherwise. Is that the idea? That is the idea, and to add on top of that, also the other expertise that's available. Because we're a tribe, because we're a group, because we're like a family, um, you have a problem, and we've been supporting you, let's say, on the development of a new piece of infrastructure for Salesforce.com, and we're working on that. And then you're like, oh, you know what? I'm going to go on stage tomorrow, and I've got this big presentation, but I've got no way to monetize it. Well, it's really easy for one of our lead developers to call me in, and then I can jump into that conversation and be like, hey, I understand all of your technology. They got me up to speed a bit on what you're talking about. Can you answer these questions? And then I'll give you the strategy. And then we can roll out that strategy, you know, same day for them if needed so that they're able to capitalize on everything. 
and we don't have a, uh, a fee to, you know, the fee to bring me in would just be an hourly fee. It's not like there's a protection fee for having us available. And that's what our clients find to be really valuable is that on-demand support in a, uh, you know, kind of a, a number of different disciplines. That's a much more flexible way because they get what they need when they need it, not kind of having it where they don't need it. <laughs> they're only paying for what they're using as they use it, basically. Absolutely. And that, that goes into this notion of uh, an uh, exponential organization, which is work on demand. That's what Uber is. When Uber moves into a new city, all they do is check a box on their app, and the app is now officially available there. Well, they don't pay any drivers unless those drivers drive. And that's kind of the idea. So we're, we started this organization, you know, Mike Klein started this organization years ago. Um, what's a really revolutionary idea, and it's continued to prove itself to be successful and flexible um, and really drive home a lot of value. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Casey Slaughter-Stanton. Uh, he is uh, head of marketing at Tech Guys Who Get Marketing. And you can find out more at their website, which is techguyswhogetmarketing.com. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Casey Slaughter-Stanton. He is the head of marketing at Tech Guys Who Get Marketing. Their website is techguyswhogetmarketing.com. Welcome back to the show, Casey. Hey, thank you, Jordan. So we have the concept. Why don't you give us a specific example of a company that came to you with a particular problem and how you helped them solve it? Sure. So we had a client come to us uh, who has a big event and thousands of people register to this event. And the event is then hosted um, either at a uh, hotel or it's hosted at a conference center. And when the event happens, one of the problems that they found was the check-in time was just so, so long because they had to 
have tickets for everybody. Some people would lose their tickets. They wouldn't get in the mail. There were the last minute people, the people who came overseas. I mean, all sorts of issues uh, to reduce the time to check in. And the check-in time was just like crippling. Add to that the issues with uh, hotel Wi-Fi and the unpredictability of that. Um, what they found was that people were getting a really bad taste in their mouth just getting to the event. It was just kind of a bad experience. So they came to us and they said, hey, tech guys, we need to fix this. The problem is check-in time. How do we fix it? And we looked through what work we've been doing with them, and they use a customer relationship management tool called salesforce.com, which is a big enterprise-level piece of technology. And we looked at it and looked how they were handling event credits and things like that and decided what's going to be best is a barcode scanner mixed with an iPad with some special software that we're going to create that's going to integrate directly with salesforce.com, and we're going to mail everyone these badges. So when they walk in, we'll just be able to zap them. We don't have to take a ticket. We don't have to do anything else. That alone is going to increase the check-in, or that'll decrease the check-in time. So they were happy with that idea. And then we had the badge reprint station just in case there was issues there and those people were trained. And then there was the question around Wi-Fi. So we decided to locally sync everything using HTML5, which at the time was really cutting edge. And that allowed them to check people in without the worry of the Wi-Fi going down. And then the database would check back on itself whenever it had access to Wi-Fi. And all of that was great, and that was a great technology implementation, and that alone saved 45 hours of check-in time on their next event. So that was a huge success, but that alone is just a technology thing. But because we're tech guys who get marketing, we also said, hmm, how else can we use this to the client's benefit? And we decided, well, we need to make sure that we're storing the credit cards in what we call a PCI compliant way, which is the legal way to store credit cards. So that when someone says, hey, I would love to do this next event, or yes, I'd love to purchase this package that comes along with this event while they're at the event getting hyped up, someone can just run over to them, zap their name badge, bill them immediately, and then hand them a high value product. Now, that high-value product could be a binder or it could be a stack of DVDs or it could be a ticket to the next event or whatever it is. But the person received immediate tangible um, goods that reduced their buyer's remorse immediately and just encouraged them to continue to stay in state and really excited and hyped up. From that, the increased lift in sales from just that implementation, not only did it solve the problem of of check-in time, but it also increased sales at a rate so high that it offset our full development cost. And that's a great example, I think, of, of what Tech Guys does. Uh-huh. Very good. So uh, entrepreneurs, there's kind of old world entrepreneurs and a lot of new world entrepreneurs who pretty much are working completely online. What are some of the biggest roadblocks you see for the kind of new style entrepreneurs when they're starting a business? Oh, that's a great question. So I think one big issue that I see um, newer entrepreneurs doing, millennial entrepreneurs maybe more specifically, is they're building a business that enslaves them. I think that's a big problem. And they're building that business because, first of all, they may think it's the only way to build a business. They have to build one that's difficult or that's you know incredibly complex. And I'll tell you, our most successful clients at Tech Eyes have actually very simple, very straightforward businesses. Uh, the kind of people who could write their entire business logic out on a cocktail napkin. And they've just refined it so well that that simplicity really has become the ultimate sophistication. So I think that's one piece, a simple business that's easy to manage um, and 
my business coach, Dan Sullivan, says, as an entrepreneur, you create the game, so don't create rules that allow you to lose. And I go back to that over and over again because it's so easy to say, you know what, I'm the guy that's always available by phone for my clients day and night. Well, then I'm losing. Then I can't fully disconnect. Then I can't enjoy a weekend with my fiance or I can't travel without feeling encumbered by work. So that's a rule that I instated that allowed me to lose and I'd had to go back and mindfully change my proposals and all the renewals that I had to say I'm not available after these times and my cell phone is off limits. So protecting myself in my time has been a huge thing to allow me to be more successful because I'm not getting pulled into things that really aren't necessary. So those are just two two uh, examples. Is the basic idea for a successful entrepreneur business to have a secure niche, something that you really can dominate, even if it may be small, as opposed to kind of spreading yourself over too wide an area? Yeah, so to that, what I would tell the students back at Tulane was start an inch wide and a mile deep. So identify a small niche. Um, I've got a few different clients who are in the financial advisor world, and some of them are financial advisors. Some of them are the advisor's advisors. Some of them are a specific type of advisor's advisor. And they all work very different businesses, very different strategies, but they're solving a very core problem that their market has. And what we all want to have happen to us as potential customers is for someone to understand us. It feels great to be understood and to be met where we are. So the famous marketing piece is um, join the conversation in the customer's head. And what I hate seeing is too many options or, or um, uh, an offering that's just too general. They don't, I don't know if they're talking to me or not. So absolutely niche. But that's not to say that you have to niche down to one niche. You could still be the king or the queen of a dozen niches. Just know that it's a little difficult to be known as that person. But in the specific markets, you could be the financial advisor of just uh, fully nomadic entrepreneurs. Or you could be the um, advisor of people who have big businesses with at least 50 employees. And you can be both of those people, but you have to niche your message down to them individually so that those people feel like you understand them. So it's taking it from the client's point of view. A lot of entrepreneurs take it from their point of view about a wonderful thing I have to offer to you as opposed to the way it's being received. Is that what you're saying the difference is? That is, yeah. And this goes back to that functional marketing approach, which is who are your avatars? And the three questions I ask in the compassionate avatar realization exercise um, is what's in their head, what's in their heart, what's in their home? So a quick exercise that anyone listening to this can do is say, who are my best clients and who are my worst clients? It's really interesting to also do this with your worst clients so that you don't attract them accidentally. And as you figure out who your best clients are, maybe you're looking back and saying, who's brought us the most money? Who's the most fun to work with? Typically, I found that it's the second highest earning client for us. That's typically our favorite because the highest earning is typically the, uh, the biggest pain. Um, so you find that second highest earner and then you say, what's in their head? And maybe you reach out to them and say, hey, Jordan, before we started working together, what was in your head? What kept you up at night? What were you really frustrated about when it came to your technology or your marketing? Or before we did this implementation, like, what was the conversation in the office? And write all those words down as you say them to me. And you say, well, I would, you know, at night I'd be sweating because I didn't know if I could make uh, payroll. Or I knew my marketing was working, but I knew I was wasting a bunch of money and I had this big event coming up and I was feeling cash poor. Whatever it is, write all that down. And then say, what's in their heart? 
So I'd turn that back to you and say, Jordan, what were you longing for? What was the good thing that you wanted? And he'd say, I love my team. I love my employees. And I really want them to be successful. But I can't give them a raise until I hit these specific benchmarks. Or I want to bring in more people to offload this responsibility because Deborah's working so hard, but I just can't, I can't afford someone else. So I really want to bring someone else in to support her. So that's in their heart and getting clarity there. And then finally, the last question is home, which is what's in the person's physical world? What kind of car do they drive? What's their education? Where do they live? Are they married? Do they have kids? What magazines do they read? What hobbies do they have? When you know all of this information and you really know your avatars, then you can go create marketing campaigns that are empathetic, that are persuasive, that say, hey, Jordan, I get where you are today. Because the Jordan before working together in this hypothetical situation, that Jordan might exist uh, because there's a million people just like you in the world or 10,000 people just like you in the world. And I can go talk to those people with a very polarizing message. And then you throw in the negative polarizing pieces, which are, but this might not be great for you, or this isn't for everybody. And this is how you know if this is a good fit for you. So you can kind of disqualify the potential bad fits. And it's that level of marketing specificity that'll drive the highest ROI from your marketing campaigns without question. Because you're going to get the best response because you're offering something to people who need it and who want it, as opposed to a lot of waste. Is that the idea? That is. And, and you've probably heard the commercial um, on TV that isn't so uh, common right now, but I guess in the last five years it's been really big, which is, do you or someone you know suffer from mesothelioma? It's yeah. such a great ad. And it's a great ad because I've always, very narrow. I tune it out. But there's someone who's sitting at home who's like, yeah, my husband has mesothelioma. Wait, I'm entitled to maybe a million dollars? Yeah, I'm going to call this phone number. So if they said, do you have any health-related injuries or problems, including respiratory, yada, yada, um, based on your employment at one of these 500 different industry types? If so, maybe you're qualified for a range of payments between $10,000 and $2 million. But they didn't do that because that's that's too wide of a message. It's better to say, do you have this problem? Here's the benefit. You're basically saying find people's pain points and come up with a solution specific to them. Is that the idea? Yes, it is. And, and to go even one step further, it's identify the pain point and then even agitate it a bit to show them that it actually is a real pain. Because the pain that they're experiencing with something in their business may be dwarfed by the pain they're experiencing with their taxes, let's say, maybe like a looming tax bill. But we should still give this pain that they're experiencing around their marketing uh, enough weight to make them take action. And this all goes back to the bigger picture of if you're in business to do a good job and to deliver good to the world, you have to use some serious force to stop someone from hurting themselves. So I was told this... um, I was at a meditation retreat and someone said to me, what force would you use to stop a child from touching a hot stove? And that's the mind frame I want my clients to get into. What are you going to do to stop someone from making this huge problem that you made and that's why you started this business so that others won't make it? As a financial advisor, like what kind of force are you going to use to say, stop spending your money on stupid things and instead save it and do this instead because in 20 years you will need this money and you can't bet on Medicaid or or whatever. You can use a level of force and persuasion and marketing and if you fail to do it, I really think you fail to serve your audience. Very good. All right, we're going to take another break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Casey Slaughter-Stanton. 
Uh, he is the marketing division head at Tech Guys Who Get Marketing. Uh, the website for them is techguyswhogetmarketing.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Casey Slaughter-Stanton. He's the head of marketing at Tech Guys Who Get Marketing, their website, techguyswhogetmarketing.com. Welcome back to the show, Casey. Thank you, Jordan. So you have something called the Ear Loop, spelled E-A-R-R, and tell us what the Ear Loop is. Sure. So the Ear Loop is what I use as a framework tool to figure out what kind of marketing campaigns are needed inside of a business. And typically, people have their own ideas of what their marketing campaigns are, but there's no way to really uh, categorize them in order for them to be more actionable. And my whole philosophy in functional marketing is choose the campaign that pushes the needle, moves the needle the most, the highest lever, the biggest hinge that, or excuse me, the smallest hinge that swings the biggest door. That's what we're looking for here. So the ear loop, E-A-R-R, stands for educate, acquire, retain, refer. And this is the four stages of a marketing campaign, as far as I'm concerned. So a marketing campaign, you can start by educating prospects that you're in the marketplace. If you've got a problem that people don't even know that they have, you have to educate them that that's a problem. So there's uh, examples of uh, in golf. If you're a golfer, do you have a problem or do you have a solution to a problem that someone may have? Maybe they're slicing the ball and that problem is related to a stance and there's more to it and a new club is the solution. Well, first you need to say, there's a problem that you're experiencing. You might not know it. Here's what it looks like. Do you have these symptoms? And they're like, oh, I do. You have my attention. So that's the education side of the, the marketing equation. Once they've been educated that they have a problem, then we can acquire them. How do we acquire the customer? Well, the acquisition happens either through capturing their email address and then following up or having them inbound call in, or maybe there's just a web form where they purchase whatever product or service you're offering. There's a number of different ways to acquire it, but there are marketing campaigns around the acquisition of people who are already educated. We really can't acquire someone who isn't educated. Um, They just won't buy, or they definitely won't buy predictably. The third stage is retaining a customer. 
So I challenge businesses and I say, is your problem really business growth or is it retainment? Is it your retention of your patients? There's a doctor's office that I was working with and um, they said, our business is just not performing like it should and we need a lot more new leads. And they were in a reasonably small town. Well, the problem with a small town is just a limited number of potential patients for them. So what I said was, your problem is not getting new people in, it's keeping the people that have come in to stick around. So how do we do that? And we came up with ideas, and then they started rolling those ideas out, and those ideas weren't expensive. Those ideas were a postcard campaign, if you haven't come in in three months. Those ideas were a, um, uh, a phone call out to you, or a holiday package if you'd spent over a certain number of, uh, if you've come in for a certain number of visits to their office, we'd send a holiday package that might cost 15 or $20 hard cost to us, and it would just be a great gift to you. And then there's the law of reciprocity, and the people, people feel the need to come back, and we're able to track all of those things to see what's successful. So you've got educate, acquire, retain, and then the last one is refer, or referrals. And ref- referrals are a great way to grow a business. So what I love to do is say, hey, we need to figure out a great referral campaign. So let's just ideate. No idea is a bad idea. Throw out all the ideas you have. If you're working with um, any women who are on the uh, makeup subscription boxes, they're getting a box a month for makeup subscriptions, ask them, how are they asking for referrals over at Ipsy or, or these other boxes? And they'll give you some ideas. If you're working with guys, maybe they're in one of these man crate um, subscriptions, or they've seen other great examples of referral sources or referral campaigns. And just throw out all the ideas. Start thinking, how could referrals work in your office? How, could, how do they work in other people's office? Just pull all those ideas in. And then from there, sift and sort and find the ones that are, first of all, the easiest and fastest to get out the door that have the highest potential to be successful. And to go back to that uh, doctor's office, I helped them with a referral campaign and their referral campaign was as easy as taking a Microsoft document, putting out uh, explicit instructions on how to leave a review, plus a card on it that said, um, if you refer a friend in the next 10 days, we'll give them $20 off their first adjustment and we'll give you a $20 credit um, towards any service in the future. And we would hand that to them, uh, these two pieces of paper on top of their bill as they left. And we'd only hand it to the people who were thrilled with the service because we want to get more people like that. And they found that they filled all of their doctor's spots, um, you know, the patient spots that were available, and they didn't have to spend any money outside of paper. They just printed paper, stapled it on. I coached the um, front desk ladies on the right ways to say and the right people to give the instructions to. And that was it. They saw their Google ranking climb because of the local SEO related to the reviews. They saw the referrals come in. They were happy. They were thrilled. And, and you know, business was done as far as I was concerned. That, that's a big part of business today, particularly is the online reputation you have, either good or bad, right? And if, if it can go either way, but if you have a positive reviews, it can really make a difference. People looking at a restaurant, they're going to see how people are reviewing it. That's, that's kind of different than the old line where you didn't really have a central place where you could see the positive or negative responses to a particular service. Right, absolutely. And because of that, I think that's kind of the the beauty of capitalism in this specific example is that we're forcing places to rise and, and be better. And we're seeing that um, a bad review from a bad night or a couple people upset with something really can cause change. And that's a, a lot of power. Now, I think that power can be used vindictively, and I, can, I think it can be used... Um, 
in a, in a revenge kind of way that's really unfortunate. And I'm not thrilled with some of the reputation um, management tools that are provided by, let's say, Yelp or um, you know even Google's local listings. Uh, but replying to everything bad that's said about you and offering to make it right is a huge thing to do. It, it's monumental. Never let a listing, uh, a negative review sit for very long. Get on it immediately. Get the top person in the organization, the CEO, the president, whoever, to write a heartfelt apology and then offer to make it right and go out of your way. Because you didn't just lose a customer, you lost the opportunity to sell other people in the future because they don't like what you look like. So I think reputation management is incredibly important. And I think that that's one of the neat things that we're seeing with um, the decentralization of some of the communication methods. So we can reach out to people on social really easily. We can go find that person who left that Google review and we can track them down. We can stick someone on that and say, go find this person. Go get their mailing address for me. Let's go make it right. They didn't like your pizza? Well, let's go give them a pizza party for 25 people. And just really make it right and go above and beyond. That so how would you, a current thing, well, how would you have handled the United Airlines situation where they dragged the passenger off and had a, a Twitter storm of negativity. How would you have handled that? Yeah, I, I think that that's a problem that shouldn't have even started. Um, and, and really shame on them for resorting to that tactic. Um, I think that just the communication within the airlines was off. And this is, um, this is the importance of you know, having this functional team. So a functional team goes back to the notion of having people that work towards the business goals. And they're not just yes men. And that's what you had likely at United. You had people that said, this is, this is the thing I have to do, so I must go do it using force. Now, if you were an employee that was incentivized for the success of the business and you really were locked in to delivering a great experience or you know, delivering happiness like Zappos talks about, you wouldn't resort to physical violence. You re- wouldn't resort to pulling someone off. Now, I don't know the intricacies of exactly what happened, but maybe they could have asked if anyone would volunteer I know that there was a limit to the size of the um, rebate that they could offer someone, but could they have broken the rules just this once? Because this cost them a whole lot of money and time and frustration and, you know, maybe market share, but I've also heard maybe not. And reputation as well, yes. And reputation, yeah. Another thing you like to talk about is the future, and you're believing that robotics and automation is kind of immutable. It's going to be happening. How can entrepreneurs benefit from the coming automation and robotics that you see all the time now? Yeah, so robotics is absolutely coming and there's going to just be a, just a, a dramatic um, demonetization of a, a multitude of industries. And first of all, everyone needs to know that that's coming and how it gets handled is, is really up for debate. And will these robots get taxed? And if those robots don't get taxed, then does our government lose the tax dollars for different kinds of programming? Like that's, that's an interesting question, and that's a really big question. But if you want to take care of yourself and your family, don't join an organization where you're going into a position that in five or ten years is going to get um, – disrupted by robots. So when I was teaching at Tulane, these students would say, you know, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to uh, work like my father and assemble this jet engine part. Like that's going to be our job. And is that job going to get the, uh, is it, is it going to get disrupted? Is it going to get demonetized? And this goes into Peter Diamandis's notion of the six D's of exponential growth. And um, if you haven't heard of that, just check out six D's of exponential growth on YouTube and watch his video or Stephen Kotler's video. And it's really a phenomenal explanation of what happens in the stages of exponential growth. And 
you just need to ask yourself the hard questions and, and just play this game out. Play the game out with your buddy, um, with a friend of yours, with your child, and say, okay, we know for a fact that self-driving cars are coming. They're already on the roads. We've got self-driving trucks. So what does that mean? Well, if we have a self-driving car, then car cars are going to be safer, right? And maybe you don't like the idea of a self-driving car today. Maybe you won't ever ride in one. But listen, your kids or your grandkids are going to. And I would almost say that my kids, I would guarantee that they wouldn't drive if, unless they really wanted to. They, wouldn't, they don't have to drive. A car would always drive them. So if we have these self-driving safe cars, then what happens? Well, they're safer. So because they're safer, that means less insurance. So if the insurance goes down, we're going to see probably a demonetization in the whole insurance industry. So if we see the premiums reduce, we see that industry reduce, we see the earning potential reduce. Maybe there's less people. Maybe they're making more because they're selling to big accounts, but you know that's up for debate. Then we say, okay, what's going to happen then if we have these electric cars and we have smaller engine blocks and, and all of this? Well, we could have a front trunk and a back trunk. So on the front trunk, maybe it's refrigerated. And then with that, a self-driving car could run errands and pick up groceries for you while you're at the office. Or maybe you don't even have the need to have your own car because you only need to get to the office and back, and then on the weekends, you need to go certain places. So play that out in your head and see, does that ever impact your life? I don't think there's any clear, straightforward approach to this, but it's kind of a game to play to say, is my industry going to be disrupted? Are, Are there some industries, do- if you're, say, a young person wanting to go into a field, are there some industries like going into robotics or something where all of this gives you potential to do better? I mean, we're not going to get automated out of a job. Sure. Great question. So I think that sales is always going to be incredibly successful. I think the technology world is always going to be incredibly successful. Um, I think storytelling is really interesting in making human-to-human connection. I think teaching is going to be really interesting. You know, we're going to see teaching become more automated in the form of uh, learning devices and maybe not in America, but definitely in, let's say, third world countries where they can get a iPad equivalent in five years for less than $10. And that can be the teacher to teach a, you know, a young kid in India maybe how to uh, speak multiple languages. I mean, it's going to be really impressive what we'll be able to um, do in an automated way. Um, I'd say those are the biggest industries, technology, uh, education, human-to-human contact, sales, those are the ones that I think are going to last for a long time. But that's not to say that uh, robots or algorithms won't disrupt yeah, that disrupt industry it. a little bit. Yeah, they will disrupt yeah. from, yes. Very good. All right, we're going to have to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Casey Slaughter-Stanton. Uh, he's head of marketing at Tech Guys Who Get Marketing. Their website is techguyswhogetmarketing.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America. 
America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Casey Slaughter-Stanton. He's head of marketing at Tech Guys Who Get Marketing. Welcome back to the show, Casey. Thank you, Jordan. So we talked about the future a little bit. One thing that seems to be coming are cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin. Uh, How is that going to be changing the way we do business? Yeah, I think this is a really fascinating thing. And I'm by no means an expert on cryptocurrency. And uh, what I think is important here is that you don't have to be an expert on the how of cryptocurrency. But I want to paint a a picture that I think is pretty clear of what's happening. So um, we... As a, as a population, right, as, as humans, we would create these small communities within our family. Uh, you know, these are like hundreds or thousands of years ago. We would have these small family groups or tribes of people where we would work together. And then from there, um, we had religion. And then if you were in our religion, it didn't matter where you lived, you were kind of then in our tribe. And then from there, we went to countries. And, and if you're in our country, you're in our tribe. And What's really interesting is we're seeing, you know, the United States and the United, um, or, well, the whole euro um, being currencies that support different, let's say, reasonably uh, autonomous um, states. And because those currencies exist and they've proven to be successful over the years, and, you know, there's, that's up for debate, and I'm by no means a fiat expert. Um, what we're seeing is the next evolution is to go from, you know, small area to bigger area to bigger area to the whole world. And that's what Bitcoin really is. It's the first currency that's not regulated by any city, by any state, by any country. It's not really regulated. It's, it's, it's not regulated, kind of by definition. And what's really interesting is if you want to mine Bitcoin, which is the opportunity to kind of win Bitcoin, um, you have to first download every single transaction that's ever occurred before. And that's called the ledger. And what's so fascinating about this is the ledger can never be forged. It's kind of impossible to forge it. So with that, all transactions that happen on Bitcoin are available for people to see. We don't necessarily know who the receiving party is and who the sending party is, but we see the transaction occurred. And it keeps things honest. Um, I think that that's a incredible invention and bitcoin is going to allow us to transact over borders more simply bitcoin can be broken down into you know a hundredth of a u.s penny which seems insignificant to us but in the right country with you know a poor economic system that might actually be uh, an interesting amount of money and yet there have been scandals these micro i mean there have been scandals as the mount can you say that again scandal there have been scandals with Bitcoin, the Mt. Gox, oh, yes. and the people running off with Bitcoin. And it, it's not been this pure 
idealistic thing. <laughs> There's been a lot of people laundering money for drug deals and so on. It doesn't have a great reputation in, in the common you know, view, I would think. Sure. So there is the absolute potential for that. Um, and I think that's one of the things that happens with a, uh, a new currency like this. And that's not likely going to go away. And it may be harder to pull the money out, but actually to transact the money, it, it's probably going to stay just as easy. So yes, there are nefarious ways to use the money, but those nefarious things have been happening forever. And they've been happening, you know, with the currency that's been in place. So I don't know if that's really the issue. With Mt. Gox, you know, the problem there um, wasn't that uh, like a security breach and they were able to pull some of the cash out. I think I lost actually a little bit of cash during that. Um, you know, there's significant issues that will happen and continue to happen. But what's been proven over and over again is the currency as a whole is strong and the currency as a whole hasn't failed. Some of the quote-unquote banks may have failed, and they failed to have good security. Um, but I think the most interesting thing right now is something called the DAO, D-A-O, which is Decentralized Autonomous Organization. And a DAO is this notion that you can throw money into the DAO, or a DAO, and pool a whole bunch of money together with a bunch of strangers, and then vote on what you use the money for. And the first... DAO was created, and it was a record-setting crowdfund of over $100 million. And people were just saying, all right, the next step is for us to then vote on what we're going to use this money for. What can we use it for that's going to be a benefit to everybody? Such a fascinating question. Um, ultimately, they had a problem, and uh, someone had found a, a, a security hole and essentially was leaking some of that currency back to themselves. And instead of the engineers who created the DAO to go in and fix the problem, they said, by definition, them fixing the problem would break kind of the social contract that no one should touch the code once it's been written. So they just refunded everyone's money back, and they're going to try another DAO in the future. I and see. I think we're going to see this as an opportunity. So if, if, we, we want if you're a small created, business, if you're an online small business entrepreneur, as we talked about, is this something you should actively court and accept Bitcoin and kind of be have that be part of your business plan? Ooh, difficult question. I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest putting all of your eggs in that basket, but I think staying up to speed on what's going on and looking at it, there's always the first mover advantage. We see that specifically in marketing and technology, which is if there's something new out, if you're the best at it, like you'll win big. You can see the Winklevoss twins from um, the whole Facebook story and, and all of their work with Bitcoin. They've done really well for themselves uh, because they were early first adopters. Now, there's a bunch of other people who have lost tremendous sums of money on Bitcoin. And it's definitely a risk. But I think staying abreast to it and just seeing what's going on so that you know is important. What's really important in all of this conversation is to not make decisions based on your parents' reality, but on the reality of what your kids are going to experience. Yes. So Bitcoin is interesting, but I think another way to look at it is I've got nieces and nephews who have iPhones and they don't have a credit card or a debit card or cash. They have Apple Pay. Now, Apple Pay is their parents' credit card you know, attached with maybe a spending limit, but it doesn't matter if it's Apple Pay with a Visa card or if it's Bitcoin backed. They don't care. A transaction is a transaction and money's money. So if it comes out of PayPal or if it comes out of Coinbase, which is you know one of the leading wallets for Bitcoin, they don't care. And that's where this becomes interesting. 
not when I say, oh, let me go into my digital wallet and send money over to this person overseas for this thing, because that's a pain. But when it becomes ubiquitous and it becomes easy, that's when I say we're going to have the, um, you know, the increase in transactions and just it's just going to be accepted. Yeah. Uh, you do uh, blogging regularly. What is, uh, how can people find uh, the blog that you put out? Sure. So I blog in a, in, in a few different places. I blog over at business.com. I've got a number of blogs that are listed out there. Uh, I also have blogs over at the Tech Guys website. That's techguyswhogetmarketing.com. And then sometimes um, I do small projects of my own to, to dive into maybe some nuance of marketing. Um, I've really been interested recently in native advertising, and I've been doing some work over on my personal site, which is caseystanton.com. What, what can people find when they go to the website, Tech Guys Who Get Marketing? Sure. So on the Tech Guys Who Get Marketing website, you're going to see um, the work that we've done and, and the praise that we've had from different people. And really what we're looking for is a fun and complex problem that you want the support and solution for. Uh, our clients typically come to us and say, you know, I had a tech team before and they did okay. Like they did fine, but they weren't moving at the rate I wanted to move the business. They weren't innovating in a way that I wanted to see the business innovate. And if I told them what to do, they'd do it. Tech guys, on the other hand, we don't just do what we're told. In that situation with that uh, long check-in in the Salesforce app that we built, um, that's the client coming to us and saying, hey, I've got a problem. And us saying, okay, let us work on a solution that's bigger than the solution than you want because we want to be able to pay for ourselves. We want to run a marketing campaign on top of this technology that's going to actually pay you um, back on your investment in us. Because we're not cheap, we know that we have to earn our keep. And that's why we come, you know, as we say, with batteries included. So you see you have a bigger problem than the client actually knows, and you solve a problem they don't even know they have to some extent. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And, and typically there's a symptom that the client has, which is, oh, this thing's not working or whatever. And it's rare that that thing isn't working because it's not working. It's typically that there's a systemic problem maybe in technology where um, you know this website's slow. Well, the reason the website's slow is because it's been infected with malware because you've been on all these different hosts and you've brought in five developers over the last 20 years to build your web assets. So let us pull everything back together, put it in a simple dashboard and you know a one-fee solution so you're using one hosting account instead of a, a number of them and make it simple for you so you can stay updated and secure. Now, that's us solving a bigger problem instead of solving just the short-term need. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Casey Slaughter-Stanton. Uh, he is formerly the professor of marketing at Tulane University in New Orleans. Uh, he is now uh, the mar running the marketing division at Tech Guys Who Get Marketing. You can say they help with all kinds of different problems and bring both technology skills and marketing skills to uh, small businesses. So thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Casey. Thank you for having me, Jordan. Take care. Thank you, and we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.